buddies, what's going on? It's Concert Buddy. Thanks again for joining us on this journey on Vinyl Community Podcasts with my ongoing series called Mind of the Record Collector. For this particular episode, I'm joined by Jim Kaplan, the founder, publisher, distributor, often deliverer, deliverer of his publication, Record Collector News. So Record Collector News is a periodical published six or seven times a year, predominantly distributed on the West Coast with some distribution inland, I think even on the East Coast, could be wrong on that, but just celebrating their 15th year. He's been doing this since 2008, but beyond that, uh, Jim has some great stories, which we'll get into in the conversation, um, not only about record collector news and how it started, but his own record collecting journey, what started his love of music, what's it like record digging in the fertile, fertile grounds of the Los Angeles, Southern California area, all that kind of good stuff. I really enjoyed Jim. Full disclosure, uh, Jim uh, did offer me an opportunity one time to write for the publication, so I wrote in this issue, fantastic read. Fantastic read. I'm clearly not biased, but a fantastic read nonetheless. Anyway, Jim's really great about that. He's offered pretty much anybody carte blanche in the vinyl community, particularly vinyl community on YouTube, to write, submit articles, op-eds, whatever, for Record Collector News. And I think that's a great uh, way to get to know people better, points of view, collecting strategies, yada, yada, yada. Blabbered on enough. You probably want to hear the conversation at this point. So, as always, thank you for checking this episode. Hopefully, other episodes out on the podcast feed. We really appreciate the support and really appreciate you taking your time to listen and watch this stuff as we put it out. Let's get into it. Yeah. And you thought vinyl left. You're listening to the Vinyl Community Podcasts. Everything vinyl. All right, buddies, welcome back to another episode here on Vinyl Community Podcasts. This is Concert Buddies series, Mind of the Record Collector. I'm fortunate to be joined by somebody I've been wanting to talk to for a hot minute, and that's Jim Kaplan, the founder and publisher of Record Collector News. Jim, how are you doing? Very cool. Glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Glad to have you. So, Jim... You're probably one of the first guests or one of the small number that are not a YouTube content creator. And we'll kind of get into that in a little bit later. So, so I'm really interested to kind of hear your point of view with the hobby, the vinyl community and all that. But let's kind of start with kind of one thing we definitely both have in common, a love of music and, and a love of the vinyl format. Right. Where, thinking back, where did that kind of start for you? You know, I was thinking about it and I think um, as a kid growing up here in Los Angeles, my parents had a white transistor radio, a little plastic transistor. And I used to listen to Dodger games when I was really little. And when the Dodgers were over, there was music and that radio was still plugged to my ear. Also, you know, I was seven or eight when the Beatles played on Ed Sullivan. And, you know, that was, I was, par- I was part of that. Okay. So that was a big deal, you know to a seven-year-old kid who was kind of into that stuff. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, growing up here in Los Angeles back then, they put me on a violin in elementary school. So I started sawing away on a violin. 
being aware of music and, you know, listening to the transistor, hearing how music, how instruments sound, even if played poorly, you know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I just, I just, I don't really know where it started. I, I can remember being really little and having the transistor plastered to my ear all day long just because I wanted to hear Snoopy versus the Red Baron. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah. All day on a Saturday, you know. So then what happened to me was I was 11 years old, living in Los Angeles. My best friend lived upstairs. His mother was a school teacher. And in the summertime, she had the summer off. So she would take odd jobs. She took a, a job as a secretary for two weeks for Frank Zappa. She, yeah, she came home with a copy of Zappa's second album, Absolutely Free. And they did not own a record player. We, living downstairs, did. And that became my first record, de facto. You know, wow. it was mine. And I listened to that thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over before I even owned a Beatle record. Mm. I had that. And it tweaked my ear a little, but I was way into the Beatles. I can remember walking to Wallach's Music City in Hollywood as a kid and buying Beatle, you know, buying a Beatle record and just being way into it. And it, it was, you know, when I got to be about 13, I got, I had a bar mitzvah and I had enough money to buy my own stereo for my bedroom. And that was it. I was off to the races, you know. I One of the first things I did was I broke the speaker wire, you know, the, the wire for the speakers, mm -hmm. the little thin, thin, thin wire, 1969 right. thin wire. And I replaced it with lamp cord from the hardware store. Oh. And that made a huge difference in the sound. How did you get an idea like that? Because it's not like the internet was back there where you could just like crowdsource that. I didn't. I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> just trial and error? Okay. No, it was just, it looked similar. I, I took it to the hardware store down the street, and that's what the guy gave me. And it there worked. Wasn't any, there was no thinking about this stuff. I was not, I was, I had so many cool records pass through my hands that I thrashed. Mm. Just thrashed. <laughs> you know, right. it wasn't what it was about. I wasn't collecting. I was listening. For sure. You know, when the arm wouldn't stay down, you put a quarter, you put a nickel, and then you put another nickel, and you taped it down, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, you know, I was kind of thinking about this. For me, it's about releasing endorphins. It really is. When I listen to music, it makes me feel good. And, you know, I can tell if I like a, a song or, or, or a system that I'm listening to, if it makes me want to play air guitar. <laughs> you know? That's I the mean, threshold you start snoring. I personally am an air guitartist. I'm beyond an air guitar player. I'm an air guitar. I'm an artist on the air guitar. Well, Jim, I'm going to cut you off right there because you know, there's the world air guitar championships. I've seen this. There's a guy yeah. named Romeo dance cheetah who was on there. Have, have you aspired to be on that stage with those artists? 
<clears throat> no, but <clears throat> I was once busted on the uh, 405 freeway back in the 70s. I'm on the freeway, and I was playing, driving my car with my knees. It was back in the days when there were like four radio stations. So mm -hmm. everyone's listening to the same radio station. I'm listening to Sir Duke by Stevie Wonder, the song mm -hmm. Sir Duke. It's got a lot of horns. I'm playing air trumpet, driving <laughs> with my knees, playing air trumpet. And I look to my left and there's a car full of people and they're listening to the same radio station and they're cracking up. I'm doing a pretty good job of air trumpet, I thought. <laughs> so ever since then, you know, I don't worry about it. That's awesome. So, but seriously, if the music makes me, I get up and I play air guitar. I embarrass other people, you know? So it's, it's, it's moving to me. Um, oh, I can appreciate that. Has, yeah. has it been something, not just the music, but as the, the formats, the topic, the formats of the day, vinyl to CD to streaming, how has that evolution worked? I mean, are you, are you somebody that pared down your records or got rid of your records at one point in favor of CDs and traded up? Or have you always held steady I, on certain titles? I never got rid of my records. I, I, I lost collections on, you know, I, when I moved out of my house, my mom tossed my records. Mm. Uh, yeah. I put, I put some records onto a houseboat that I was going to move into and the houseboat sank with my records on. It. Oh no. <laughs> a box of records, you know, a hundred records or so. Okay. But still, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I never got rid of my records. Sometimes if I had more than one of the same record, I remember one time I had, if I had more than one of the same, I would take the one that to me at the time sounded the best. And I was trading in blue notes or OGs. I didn't know any better. Well, of course, of course, no way. Right. I wasn't, that wasn't my reason. You know, it wasn't, it was just, I liked the music. And then I sort of went nuts down the uh, Zappa rabbit hole. Um, Living in Los Angeles, it was easy to do because he played there a lot. Sure. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, I have a have a story about meeting, interviewing Frank Zappa. I can tell. Yeah, yeah let's, let's go into it. Tell okay. me about it. So 1982-ish, I'm starting to work at a newspaper called the LA Weekly. And I'm not a journalist. I'm, I'm an ad sales guy. I'm a salesman. Okay. Ads. But I was kind of into it, whatever. I took a course at a radio station here, KPFK, in radio documentary. And I bought myself a nice Sony uh, cassette recorder. Mm -hmm. And I called Frank Zappa's management company and i lied and i said i was with kpfk and they said come on up to frank's house saturday four o'clock whoa gave me the address i went there there's a gate at the front frank zappa answered the gate he walked me into a little office above his garage he said wait here i waited there and i could see from his what was going on in the office. I was the last interview of the day. He had about four other interviews and I was the last one of the day. Oh, I see. I didn't know what that meant, but so I go into Frank's house. We go down into his basement, down into his recording studio, the whole thing. 
And he has set up, this is 1982, a video camera, that which was like, those were like a lot of money back then. Oh, for days. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had yeah. lights and a camera operator and a chair for him and a chair for me. And he says, do you mind? I just got this. Do you mind if I videotape you interviewing me? And I said, no, go ahead. So I'm doing this interview and I'm trying to ask Frank questions about not just music, but about his lyrics and the things he sings about with politics and sexuality and all this stuff that mm-hmm. he's getting into. And he would, he didn't like it. He, Uh-oh. yeah, he would restate my question into something someone asked him in guitar player last month and answer that question. And being a salesperson and not a journalist, I wasn't picking up on any cues. I just just asked the same question over and over. I was trying to get the sale. And after about an hour of that, I did notice that it was getting weird. So I shifted into easy stuff and what I thought was easier stuff. And all of a sudden, Frank goes, you know what? I smell a rat. Give me the tape. What do you mean? He goes, I'm not going to let those feminists at KPFK get their claws on this thing. Give me the tape. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I wouldn't give him the tape. I made him hit the eject and it got really weird. And he, he took it and he went into a room and he came back out with the exact same tape, only blank. And he gave me that. And then he goes, come over here, kid. And we sit down at a table and there's food there and he starts eating and he's like giving me food and he's lecturing me. Mm. Everyone has an ax to grind, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no one's, I lied, Frank, this isn't Cape. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And I said, um, well, I can't leave here empty handed. I said, can I have a copy of whatever autographed? And he says, I don't have any of that. And he grabbed my steno pad and he wrote, cut the crap, Frank Zappa. And that's my prized possession in life. Oh, wow. Okay. So the story doesn't quite end there. Five years later, a friend of mine, Don Bowles from Drummer for the Germs, he's interviewing Frank Frank about the uh, PMRC stuff, Parents Musical Research. Oh, sure. The the, the parental advisory stuff. They want to censor. So, um, Don's interviewing Frank about that. And Don says to Frank Zappi, he says, by the way, Frank, there's a guy here who's a big fan of yours who interviewed you once and you videotaped him him interviewing you. And at the end of the interview, you took the tape away. And without skipping a beat, Frank goes, oh, yeah, he was being duped by militant feminists at KPFK. Wow. The recall instantly. Five years later. Then another five years go by and Frank's autographing his book at a bookstore and you know and i'm in line getting i want to get my book autographed and i get up to frank zappa and he's autographing my book and i say by the way i i interviewed you once and you videotaped me interviewing you and i was duped by militant militant feminists and you took the tape away from me and i'm not kidding he looks at me and he goes i was just watching that tape last week and I said to him, well, give me a dollar and I'll sign a piece of paper and do whatever you want to with it. Yeah. And he said, I don't know who the audience would be. And I said, well, I barely remember what happened. It was 10 years ago. <laughs> sure, sure. So he said, give me six months and then call the office. 
So I waited six months. I called the office, nothing. And then about two years later, they announced that he had cancer and it was all over. Mm. But I've since talked to Tommy Mars, who used to play keyboards for Frank, and Tommy swears he's seen it. Oh. And I also talked to a guy by the name of Joe Travers, who's the vaultmeister, and he swore that he would find it. Of course, that was 10 years ago. And whatever. Mm. But anyways, that's my, uh, you never want to meet your heroes because it might go south. <laughs> you know? That, that saying's very true for, for a lot of reasons, and that one's case in point. That's why I'm yeah. story, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Just it just got really weird. Yeah. <laughs> As it's prone to do. Yeah. Um, before we move off of, uh, of, of music and, and record collecting and go into record collector news, um, current day, t- now that we're in this, for lack of a better word, vinyl renaissance or you know, the hobby is fresher and, and more vibrant than it's been. One, did you see this coming in any way? And, and two, has it affected how you find new music and find records themselves? Well, Personally, as a guy who's just never stopped digging through the bins, I go to record stores and it's almost like therapy. Mm. You know, when I'm digging through the bins, I'm not thinking about my troubles, you know, whatever. No, I, I hear you. I'm same way. Yeah. I've been doing it forever. So, my experience is this is one of the better time. This is probably the best time I've ever been collecting. I see stuff in the bins right now that I've never seen before. I walked into a record store. And I saw a reel-to-reel of John Coltrane's Giant Steps. Never seen that. I used reel-to-reel, you know, Uh the retail ones. It's because guys my age and, you know, whatever, are downsizing, maybe downsizing to where they're, like, in the ground sizing. And (laughs) their records are coming into the bins. Mm. And it's fantastic. It really Mm. is. It's really good. Um. In terms of the people that are younger than me that are collecting, um, I think it's really phenomenal. It's fantastic. It's healthy. People, I'm finding, you know, people that have not really been collecting that long are so deep into it. It's just, it's really good. Um, And there's so much good stuff. I think that the pandemic was a lightning rod accelerator. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really blew things out of proportion. It really did. And, but now that they're moderating a little bit, it's, it's okay. It's great. Better than it was. It is. I think it's a good time. I'm, I'm a little, you know, these reissues are very expensive. Yes. The average, the average record store day record was like either 40 or 50 bucks. You know, it's it's a lot of money. You buy ten of them, that's five hundred dollars. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know how long, how sustainable that is. I mean, ten years ago, we did an article in Record Collector News that was when we used to have a website. That the headline was, uh, "Why are reissues so expensive?" Or take this thirty dollars Smiths reissue and stick it where the sun don't shine. And that article got more hits than anything I ever did on the internet ever. Mm. It got 60,000 hits. Wow. So, and now it's even worse. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's 50 bucks for these reissues. Are they good? They're fantastic. Yes. They're fantastic. I think, you know, 
everyone's doing a great job. I'm I'm not that picky. I'm not. I mean, because in the end, it's still about the music for you, right? You're not like it, tr- trying it, to get the best of the best, and you know, putting them on a shelf to never play them. You're actually well, incorporating I them. I don't want to put them on the shelf and never play them. I don't want right. to be that guy. I don't want to have boxes of records in the closet that don't get opened up. I don't want to be that guy. I have about 3000 records, a little less. It's, it's manageable. It's not completely nuts. And I also don't have physically that much room. I don't want to, it's enough. 3, you don't want to sleep on boxes of records like Alex Rodriguez at Records Safari. <laughs> no, no. Let Alex do that. And then I'll go there and purchase his beautiful record. <laughs> That's his job. Right. You know? right. I'm, a, I'm not really a record dealer, although I have too many records and I'm happy to sell some once in a of while. Course, but, of course, we all are. But they're not widgets to me. They're emotional. They have emotional value. Resonance, sure, sure. Yeah. And so it's a, it's bad. It's not good. It's bad. I'm a crack addict. You know, (laughs) I'm addicted to these records. I never, ever, ever have not been. Hmm. And the sound, you know, we can talk about sound a little bit. Um, I just have so much money invested in vinyl record playback Hmm. that it sounds phenomenal. I have $300 invested in CD playback. Like five times that invested in more than that. I have 50 times that invested in vinyl playback. It's bad. So, but, but every record I play sounds really good, really good. That's, that's what makes me happy. That's awesome. Crappy sounding records sound good. (laughs) Well, you touched on something. This will be a good transition to the next part of our conversation about record collector news, right? Right. Um, Tell me about, you know, the origins of it, where it started, the idea. I mean, is it something as simple as you're just sitting around one day and came up with it? Or take take us to a walk of of where record collector news was was born in your mind and born in reality. This is exactly what happened. I've been in the newspaper business since 1982 i worked for the la weekly and then a bunch of other papers i worked there 10 years and a bunch of other papers 2002 i started a community newspaper in the san fernando valley and one of my advertisers was a record store by the name of freak beat records he advertised with me from the day he opened up in my little community home delivered community newspaper and i was in there all the time buying records man all the time and we knew we got to know each other and after eight years i had built it up to where i had two partners the recession hit and my partners decided the best way to deal with the recession was to get rid of me Mm. and they basically you know forced me out and i was depressed and didn't so want this about 2008. Am I getting the timing right? This is 08. Okay. I got knocked out of my, the, the recession, the, the writer strike hit in, in September, 2007. That was the yes. end for mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. So February 08, they kicked me out. March 08, I go into freak beat records because I don't want to think about my troubles. I just want 20 minutes to dig through a pile of records. 
And as I'm walking in to Freak Beat Records, the owner, Bob Say, who knows me and knows my situation and probably senses that I'm vulnerable at the time, says, so what are you going to do with your life now, Kaplan? So to shut him up, literally to shut him up, (laughs) I tossed off what I thought was the stupidest idea I could come up with in the moment. And I said, Bob, I'm going to start a record collector paper. What do you think of that? Mm. And he, I thought it would shut him up. And he got real serious. And he pulled out from behind the counter a copy of a magazine of a paper called Record Convention News. I had never seen it. Some guy had been putting this thing out in Southern California for 10 years, maybe longer. And I'd never even picked it up. I don't know why I was in that business. I, it just was such an amateur thing that I never picked it up. And the guy had passed away. He had died. I didn't know any of this. And this guy, Bob Say, said to me, look, man, all of the record stores in L.A. have been advertising in record convention news. The guy died. It's the only thing that works. Turn you key. start this back up. You do it. You, you make it go. And so six weeks later, I had my first issue, a copy of Record Collector News, and did it every other month. And it's just been, a, it's been fun. It's been way too much fun. And it's been, I've learned a lot. That's when I started learning, when I started. Really? Yeah. So somebody who's been collecting their whole life up to that point, I mean, what what changed? Like, what things were you learning? Was it more like inside baseball kind of things as you got closer to the quote-unquote hobby aspect of it? Or Yeah, one, one big thing that I learned was before I started Record Collector News, I thought literally in the back of my mind, that someday someone's, I'm going to die or whatever, and someone's going to come in and they're going to go, whoa, look at these records. Look at this collection. Normally, this collection is worth X. But because this dude is so cool, it's worth X plus blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Sure. I thought, and when I started Record Collector News, I had to realize I have very common taste. (laughs) (laughs) it's true my taste is very ordinary it's very common oh i love the beatles yeah they made a million of those records right so is everybody else right weird one it's the odd one that's worth something and i purposely ditched that one when i was a kid because it wasn't like i wanted to be like my friends this one's a mistake i don't want it that's i wasn't collecting for the value Mm mm-hmm at that point so now that i know what's going on you know i know all the dealers i know all the blah 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 i realize i threw away all the good records so i'm sensing that there may be a butcher cover story somewhere in there or do you have the butcher cover i have a butcher okay um i got a phone call um many many years ago right a couple of months after freak beat had only been open for three or four months. And I got, I had a cousin here in Los Angeles who was also a degenerate record collector. And he was a little bit nuts though. He was actually quite schizophrenic. He was one of those record collectors and he passed away and his sister called me and said, there's a box of records. And I, and I got the box. It was a box of all 
Beatle records. Mm. And to my eye, I wasn't doing record collector news at this point. I was doing my other paper. Mm -hmm. To my eye, these Beatle records were absolute garbage. Oh, no. Trash. Put yeah, them in yeah. the trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put them in, except for the, the butcher cover that was in there. But this butcher cover is the worst peel job you could ever imagine. And my cousin Drew with a permanent marker, like a one inch black border around. The oh, yeah. So I give this pile of crap, pardon my French, to okay. Freak Beat Records. And Bob Say says, Ooh, I'm going to have to call Rockaway in on this one. Rockaway is like the Beatle pros in LA. So I don't know. A week later, they, they tell me, I can only give you $80 for the, for the butcher cover. It's so thrashed. I suggest you keep it. Put a frame around it, put it on a wall. And I did. I took that as my commission. The other pile of garbage, $800. I have no idea what was in there that was worth anything. 800 bucks. 800 So do I trust Freak Beat Records? Do I trust... Rockaway Records, yeah. Mm. That was before I was even, way before I was in this business. That's so awesome. That's just an anecdotal thing. They could have told me 50 bucks and I would have been happy. Well, sure, because you're like basically putting out in the trash yourself. You were just like, oh, maybe, I can get, maybe I can get enough money for lunch. Who knows? So anyway, that was um, that's how I got my butcher cover. It's a cool one. I mean, you know, I just power slam records sometimes pick them up when i'm out delivering records you know if i go to too many record stores i, I come back with too many records mm. you know out delivering and look what's on the wall and like i say there's great stuff in the you just gotta be one to work for it right i mean i think that's pretty consistent i mean i I feel, and tell me, tell me what you think about this. I mean, I think you're in a very fertile area for finding used records yeah. in, in Southern California and Los Angeles compared to Billings, Montana, even, you know, I don't know, Arkansas, et cetera. So definitely so, works, but, but you still have to work and you still have to look in the bins and do, do the work. For me, I've been to San Francisco. I've been to Portland. I've been to Seattle, been to, been to New York, been to Boston, been a few, been to Columbus. Los Angeles has the best records in the world. It's where the center of the music business was when it mattered. All those executives grabbed all that crap. It's all up in their garages and it's coming down out of their hills, homes in the hills, and it's flowing into the bins. And it has been always. You know, I have, you know, white label promos, blah, blah, blah. It's a great place to collect, which brings me to kind of to the vinyl community. Perfect segue. Thanks. Yeah. Because <laughs> let's talk about that. If you're not living in Los Angeles, what do you do? You know, what do you do? How do you find these records? And I found the vinyl community late the pandemic was basically over. I spent most of the pandemic on YouTube, but figured watching videos on how to make your room sound good. The physics of having a stereo, two speakers in your room. Mm -hmm. And so then I discovered through that, I discovered uh, 
Steve Gutenberg, Gutenberg, and then I kind of bumped into Mazzy. And then Mazzy, I sort of like was, whoa, this guy's me, only older, you know? <laughs> sure. He's in San Francisco, I'm LA. He hit it. You know, I was too young. He nailed it. And then I got, I discovered Rachel and everyone else, you know? And to me, the vinyl community is a great place to, even though there's, there can be a lot of personalities and blah, blah, blah going on. Mm -hmm. There is some great music to be found. If you put up with the BS long enough and don't take a person, and I've found so many artists I never heard of. I never heard of Sonny Chirac ever guitar player. All of a sudden the, the who's the rev rock and roll. And what, what the heck is that? He turns me on to Sonny Chirac my mind is blown blown mm. now i've got 15 records with sunny shirak on <laughs> that's awesome you know what i mean yeah, yeah yeah and that to me is it's worth a fortune it's worth so much um it really is let alone and then i hate i have to say i'm kind of in love with all these people i love them they're record collectors, even the sure. jerks, the record collectors. I've seen people take shots at me kind of in the comments, and then they'll make a comment about, a, not to me, but to someone else about a record that I love. And I'm like, how can I hold it against this guy? We both love the same things. You know what I mean? I'm with so that's what I like about the vinyl community. I love, I love the people that are not stars who are in love with music. You Where know? did the, uh, let me ask you this. Um, so record collector news comes out seven times a year, right? Seven times a year. So within that, and one thing I've noticed, and, and you've been generous enough to let me write uh, a piece right. of the publication, full disclosure. Um, where did the idea manifest to now include some of these people that you're getting to know in the vinyl community to contribute to the publication, was it something that was hatched talking to, I'm making it up, talking to Mazzy or something you were thinking about one time and said, hey, I'd like to leverage some of this subject matter expertise that may not be based in Southern California or up we have distribution, but just to, to get more feedback and insight, where'd that come from? It was um, nothing that hips looking cool i was i i've been trying to find fresh voices in the paper forever and you know i talk to people or i meet people and yeah I'll, I'll come up with a few words and i'm always asking for um for editorial from people that i meet and i think because this this, this could be kind of weird i asked people in the in the vinyl community to write to me and they actually did it hmm that's all I've asked. A, I don't want to say writers are flakes, but if you ask 15 writers to come up with a thousand words by a certain deadline, not all of them will come up with sure. it. So I have a theory, the vinyl, the, the vinyl community on YouTube, you guys are so used to the YouTube connection that when you got, record connect collector news a a, a a real physical thing in your hands you were so jazzed that you would actually come through with the editorial yeah 
and it's good. It's excellent. It's really good. I'll tell you. Um, there's some really good stuff. Mazzy's great. You're fantastic. Uh, Stunty's really good. Rachel turns out to be a, a really good editor. Yeah. She has experience. So, you know, I remember someone in the very beginning when people didn't know who or what I was said, uh, you know, Jim's just trying to take advantage of the VC. And I'm like, no, I really want to promote the VC. Make I want my readers to know about the VC. They don't. They don't. They don't. My The record store owners, they don't know about it. Sure. Most of them. How many records? You know, there's like... So I think it's really good. I think it's really good. And it's it's sort of energized me. Awesome. You know, been doing this for 15 years now. So you have to stay motivated. And I, I really like the personalities, even the half of personalities or whatever. You right, know? right, 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 right. So, yeah. That's awesome. It's as good to me as the music. It really is. Well, and even talking about, I, I, tell me if I'm wrong here, but even now the next extension of that is meeting up with some of these people from behind the camera. Right. Like I know you've gone record shopping with Rob the Waxed and, yeah. and folks like that. Like tell me about now that the, the connection extends beyond the content. Right. Like how, how do you find that to be? So again, I'm lucky to be living in a metropolitan city where there's a number of members of the VC that we, that we know. And, you know, previous to this, honestly, I had one friend in Los Angeles that I could go record shopping with. And he lives an hour away now. And we haven't gone record shopping in 10 years together. It record shopping has never been a, hasn't really been a communal thing. And now it is now it is again, you know, I can call up Rob or, you know, I can see, uh, Joe Marino or Chauncey or a number of other people at, at these different shows and it's oh what'd you do what'd you find do 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 you know let's get a let's go eat let's get a cup of coffee there's a nice social aspect to it which makes the experience that much deeper blah blah you know richer whatever no I think that's I mean, true I, I, I ran across something a while ago and I think it's actually applicable to kind of what we're talking about. And, you know, the older you get, you get a little bit more siloed, you get a little bit more involved in your right. routine and it's harder to meet for, I mean, it's very, it sounds very playground-ish, but to make new friends, to be honest with you. Right. Exactly. Man. And so here it's we very, are. Yeah. Here we are through important. record collecting, finding this commonality to then not only connect with people virtually, but then like we're talking about to then take that to another extension and go record shopping with people or, you know, Hey, are you looking for X records? So now you've got another extension of somebody helping right. you to find these things. And I think that's invaluable. Right. I mean, if I'm ever in certain cities, I will definitely look some of these people up and think, you know, stuff like that. I feel, I do feel an, a personal emotional connection with somebody, you know, with, with, with the VC and it is important. I talk about what goes on in the VC with my family you know oh, my, my my wife is so sick of hearing some of these stories trust me <laughs> i know what you mean <laughs> you know so it's uh but it's all good you know it really is and things have been phenomenal 
really, really great. Um, yeah. Well, let me ask you this before we get to the lightning round. We're almost at third, so you're dying. We use a baseball axiom. We're almost rounding third. Okay. Where do you find for you right now is the best place for you to find records? Is it still the, the bins at the stores? Is it still, uh, or is it going to shows? Is it going to uh, record shows? I should say, is, is it, uh, it through periodicals and, and doing the estate sales, et cetera. What, what's like your wheelhouse of providing the most fruit for your digging, uh, time. Personally, for me living here in Los Angeles, it's digging through the bins. It's what I've always done. I love record stores. I love, I mean, the experiences that I've had in record stores. I've had the classic, I've been yelled at. I've been, I brought a record up to pay for it and been told, what are you buying? What kind of, you know, just lambasted for my taste. And my response is, you're the one selling it. <laughs> and I mean, but I love record stores. I love pe- the people, the people that are hanging out at the record stores. I just love it. So that's the best way for me. When I buy something, you know, on eBay or Discogs, sometimes you never know what you're going to get. It's true. You know, when you're in the bins, there it is. And you can look at it. I tend to not buy at record shows as much because i'm usually there distributing the paper and working and schmoozing and blah 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 yeah so and i don't have enough money to buy i i go to so many record stores i go to all the shows i look in all the pins i can't buy everything so i have to be i have to be cool about it i'm just trying to kind of upgrade i i have a hard time going out and playing with uh with the waxed he's just a machine <laughs> he just is he is a machine and i found so many cool records digging with him mm. but it's you know he's serious for sure and uh you know so for me it's it's more about digging through the bins awesome if problem. i if i want something and i gotta have it and i can't find it i'll buy it but i get much more of a cool satisfaction feeling. yeah 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 like that do you still get the and i i've said this on other conversations still have that oh shit like where you'll be digging in the bin and be like i can't believe i found this or this exists have you do you still get yeah that? yeah yeah but with the onset of early alzheimer's sometimes i oh shit and then i bring it home and i have two copies of it <laughs> We've all been, i must have the same condition jim because I'm, I'm right there with you I've but done yeah. That before. yeah but now i did recently have an oh shit online Okay. Uh, there's a there's a, there's a grail that I've been looking for. Tell me about it. Um, last time I saw it was twelve hundred bucks. I saw a British version of it for two hundred dollars, and I bought it. It came from England, and it was everything I hoped it would be. It's fantastic. It's a Zappa record with a copy of uh, Punky's Whips on it that was taken off. Oh. Huh? Zappa did a song about a fellow label mate. They're both on Warner Brothers. And Zappa, Zappa wrote a song about a guy by the name of Punky Meadows, lead singer of a band called Angel. And he tore Punky Meadows apart. And when the record came out... like an early one, diss track, like the East Coast, West Coast? This was just a, a complete annihilation? Is that what I'm picking no, up? No, it, it, it was basically a song about how Frank Zappa's drummer fell in love with the 
with the with the black and white promo picture of Punky Meadows and was having sex with it. Whoa, whoa. okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the label didn't like that and they took it off the record. So the records with that song on it are worth a fortune. That's amazing. I love stories like yeah. that. Yeah. All right, Jim. Here we are, lightning round. We're now we're cool. now we're rounding. As Vin Scully would say, we're rounding third now. Here so I kind of tease this one backstage where we started. But what's a concert or an artist in a period that you wish you would have caught back in the day? Okay. Well, the number one for me is Led Zeppelin. I went to go see Led Zeppelin at the Forum. I, the, a, a famous bootleg was made of that show, which I have the bootleg, but I went with people who had tickets and I thought for sure I had like $300 cash on me, which is a lot of money back. Ready to you play, know, I thought for sure I would be able to scalp a ticket and I walked around the forum all night long and nobody was selling tickets for any oh. price. And I never got in. I never got in. Never. That was a tough show. That was the one show that I really, and I never, ever saw them again, you know, never saw them. So I never saw Led Zeppelin. Mm. My first concert was Simon and Garfunkel at the Hollywood bowl in the sixties. But the night before Jimi Hendrix played and I was like, why am I going to Simon and Garfunkel and not Jimi? It wasn't, it was like some neighbor's mom dropped us off. Kind of a sitch. No mm. one was driving. So that was my first concert. It was a good one. Let's talk about Discogs. Do you think it's good or bad for the hobby? Maybe somewhere in between. Uh, I think it's okay if you want to put all your records on Discogs and... You know, that can be fun. I have 3,000 records. I put 300 records on. It took me a year. (laughs) I wanted to blow my brains out. I don't enjoy it. Right. I'm not going to do it anymore. (laughs) That's fair. So, but I like, it would be fun to know, oh, you already own that record, Jim. Don't buy it again. But, you know. So be it. (laughs) Yeah, so be it. Let me ask you this. Um this is kind of one that's been kind of going around the community in a, in a joking way, but do you find that there are now too many live streams going on in the vinyl community? And I say that because as you, you brought up Rachel before, you know, there, there's been people who have been doing this a hot minute and now there's people like me who just started doing it. Do you find that there are too many live streams going on right now in the vinyl community? Not if you're entertaining me. No, not if you make it interesting. No. I mean, I can't watch all live streams at the same time, but to watch, I can watch um, these uh, streams that you do. These, uh, oh, you know, and they're great. Why wouldn't I? Well, thank you. I don't have a problem with it at all. I, if I can discover some new music, even if I discover music, and then I, like when I first started listening to Mazzy, he got me all excited, and I went out and bought like all the. Linda Ronstadt records. Well, I don't need all the Linda Ronstadt <laughs> records. So I kept three of them and I traded, I got rid of the rest, but still, yeah, that's exciting to me. So I don't care. I know that there's people that this rule and that rule and, and the, the old VC and the new VC and how it used to be for me. I don't know how it used to be, but 
we got a bunch of nut jobs who all love records. We're all in it together. You know, I don't care. Well, you know, really nobody's cooler than anyone else. Sure, sure. I kind of like that. I don't have a problem with it. Awesome. So I don't have a problem. I think it's good. Well, similarly, something that's been more uh, or a topic du jour in the last year is cleaning records. And we won't uh-huh. get into like that kind of stuff. But I mean, have you always cleaned your records or is this something that you also have adapted to learning more about through the vinyl community and, and that subject matter expertise being more accessible? When I was uh, in like 1999, living in San Jose, there was a high-end audio store that I used to go to all the time. He had all the reissues of the really cool stuff. In that day, the, back then, though, you could buy a reissue for 30 bucks, or you could buy the original for 100 So I would buy the reissue and make sure that I liked it. But anyway, this guy... He said, how many records do you have? I, at that time, I had about 1,000 or 1,500 records. They're worth $10 each or more. Yeah. You have $15,000 worth of records. Spend $500 on a record cleaning machine. So I did. I bought one of those VPI, mm, sure. you know, uh, you know, the, with the vacuum, you put the stuff on and you give it a little scrubby scrub. And yeah, it made a big difference. It made a difference. But the ultrasonic is even better i use i've used a few different ultrasonic machines and it's you guys we're getting our records cleaner than ever man so there's a lot of weird things you can do i use the kermis method where and what's that for the people at home what's that with the kermis you put it in you, you you clean it ultrasonically for five minutes and then you take it out and you have a camel hair brush, and you take this magic juice, surfactant, and a few other things. <laughs> hashtag no sex. It. Hashtag no sex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you, 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 put the, you put the record down, and you scrub the record, the grooves. And they're kind of damp with this. You've sprayed this material, this, this liquid, and a waxy film comes up from the record a wax this weird stuff hmm. comes up and i don't know how much of it is in the record and how much of it is in the brush but it whatever you you clean it again for five minutes you do that back and forth and um eventually the wax stops coming off the record and you have cleaned your record i only do it to amazing records because it's pay- it's really oh sure a lot of time consuming sure uh, but it works. It does work. It, 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 Kermis says it rejuvenates the records. I would have to agree to a certain degree. It, 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 it cleans them deeper than they've ever been cleaned. And, you know, I have some really nice stereo equipment. My cartridge is among, you know, it's fantastic. And so I can hear it. I had Rob the Waxed over here one day. We played a record. Then we cleaned it and we did the Kermis method to it cleaned it again dried it played it and rob could hear it he's like wow Mm. you know it was noticeable it wasn't just louder it was there was more information there so you know ultrasonically cleaning your records is fantastic i'm trying to get rob hooked on equipment he doesn't care (laughs) 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 last one i got for you pal 
kind of you kind of said this earlier, so I'm going to come back to it. So when you exit stage left and see your plane, what happens to your records? Um, I have five kids, um, and I've trained them from a very early age. <laughs> so there's I used to have a bumper sticker that said, "When I die." my kids won't get poop, but man, they'll fight over an awesome record collection. <laughs> so that's probably not going to happen. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I don't know. I love listening to my records. Do I like the way they look? Yeah. You know, do I like having this man cave full of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But um, I just hope that uh, they don't wind up in a landfill. You can give them away for all I care at that point. You know, I don't need, sorry. I don't need. Uh, and that's your friend from Santa Monica calling and trying to get a dibs on the, the records. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, he's calling me to tell me there's an estate sale near you. <laughs> uh, so awesome. Well, anyway. Jim. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the conversation. Chance, thank you, really. And really enjoyed this. And for my show. listeners, give Record Collector News a shot. If it's not available in your area, if you're somebody like me who's out of that predominant distro, uh, you can order it and have it sent to you. Seven issues a year. Is it $35? $35,000 a year. $35,000. And you think that sounds well, like a lot, but it's not. We'll enough. split it one time. 35 bucks a year. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, and uh, I've enjoyed it because I think I'm on like issue four of my subscription, and I really enjoy it. Nice, thank you, Chance. It's good stuff. So, so Jim, thank you, Jim Kaplan, the founder and publisher of Record Collector News. Thanks for the time, sir. Thanks, Chance. And that was another trip around the turntable. Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts.